0: IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash just news. That's tnusa.com slash just news. Hello America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News where in just a few minutes, we're gonna to talk to somebody who used to work for, Congressman Ron Palm, who has worked for years on the issues of excessive spending in government, infringement on our freedoms, our liberties, uh, about gun rights, the Second Amendment. He's a very eloquent voice, a person who's thought a lot about how have we gotten to this moment in Washington where we're about to spend $6 trillion in a single year where we're talking about significant changes in gun laws, significant changes in election laws. Uh, Norman Singleton's gonna join us. He is the president of the Campaign for Liberty. Very thoughtful guy on a lot of the issues that we talk about on a daily basis, the developments, right, the, the, the daily developments. Today, I'd like to pull back a little bit and talk a little bit with Norman about how we got there. What are the solutions if you're someone who's concerned about the trend of the country? Uh, he runs a, a non-profit group that does a lot of great stuff on the liberty front, on the spending front, on the debt front. Uh, he comes out of the Ron Paul camp of Congress many years ago, Rand Paul, Ron Paul, uh, a libertarian. A lot of interesting issues and and um, the issues he were talking about 20 years ago when they weren't in fashion are now the issues of the day and I thought it would be fun to bring him on for a day and to talk about that. Now, Friday When we wrapped up the podcast, I told you there just might be a little story about President Biden's uh, interior nominee that might make some news, might have an impact. And in fact, we did break it just a few hours after the podcast wrapped up. What was that story? I want to go back to it because I think it's so important for all of us in America to focus on. Well, uh, Congresswoman Deb Holland, the interior secretary nominee, didn't file her IRS taxes in 2018. She waited until December of 2020 as her nomination for interior secretary was being uh, vetted to file a tax form for 2018. Now, that's significant in and of itself. It's rare for someone being vetted for a cabinet secretary to have a tax problem, a tax ambiguity, a tax situation. But what's more interesting is that she, in the tax form, she is now confirmed to Congress that she she filed belatedly she gave herself a different income level than the three prior income levels that she uh, has uh, already reported on federally required forms. These are forms that you're not supposed to lie on or get wrong. So depending on what form you look at, Deb Holland either made $46,000 in 2018, the year she ran for Congress, $30,000 in 2018, the year she ran for Congress, $4,000 or $2,250, which is what she said she reported on her taxes. Now, think about that. You're crisscrossing New Mexico running for um, Congress in 2018, and you're claiming you lived on $2,250. Anyone suspicious about that number? Well, whatever the case is, it's a very unusual situation to have a cabinet secretary nominee suddenly file back taxes and uh, she says she did it out of abundance of caution. She doesn't think she had to file taxes in 2018, but she suddenly did it. But the mystery over her finances just keeps growing. And uh, you'll see in my story, if you go to the website, check out justinnews.com, Uh Senator John Barrasso, Senator Steve Daines, Montana, Wyoming, two senators who are very concerned about this nomination, saying her answers are not satisfying, they're confusing they're not complete they're not forthcoming something is up with this nominee now despite that it's running its way through congress it's probably she may very well be get uh, confirmed in the next week or 10 days but take a look at that tax story tax return if this was a trump nominee most of the news media would have it on the front pages of the newspaper we broke it at justthenews.com but take a look it's very important there's something up in deb Holland's nomination i think we're going to learn more over the next few weeks now The second thing I want to talk about is something that's fun, useful. Uh, I wanted to go back through Russia and take a look at the text messages because over three years, we have had drips and drabs of text messages that came here and there. They were on the link system of the FBI, on personal phones, on FBI phones. And I put them all into a timeline and started to take a look at What did those text messages show, say, about the FBI? And what they show is that on a routine basis, the FBI, its senior leadership, those with political ambitions or political biases, um, had first-name relationships with big media news reporters, the New York Times, CNN, ABC News, CBS News. Um, That's unusual. Usually the senior leadership of the FBI keeps a hands-off approach on the media and lets their press office do that. But in this case, you're seeing people like Lisa Page and and the deputy director himself, uh, then Andy, Andy McCabe, uh, with these sort of first name, personal cell phone relationships with reporters who, by the way, end up getting some of the big leaks about the Russia collusion case. Now, that's the first part. All right. So there's a culture of leaking, a culture of behind-the-scenes dealing with news reporters and the FBI about ongoing criminal and counterintelligence matters. As you know, that's the reason why Andy McCabe ultimately got fired. He lied about authorizing a leak to the Wall Street Journal and then later came clean about it. But his lack of candor, as the IG report called it, is what resulted in being recommended for charges. At the end of the day, Andy McCabe, the Justice Department, decided would not be charged. But they did recommend that he be looked at for charges, the IG, Inspector General of the Justice Department, and they did recommend that he be terminated. That's very important. All right, so there's a culture of leaking, culture of engagement, culture of uh, media camaraderie uh, at the highest levels of the FBI about cases that should remain secret, not be talked about. Now, the second part of those text messages, when you line them up, what you see is Time and time again, whether it's Lisa Page or Peter Strzok uh, or other people high up in the FBI, time and time again, they know that the stories that are being leaked to the New York Times, particularly Washington Post, uh, elsewhere, were false, inaccurate, contained a false narrative that was misleading the American public, driving the Russia collusion narrative, and they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. They kept that, they allowed that false narrative to go. And in some cases, they grabbed those stories and used it to further their investigation or to justify furthering their investigation. This uh, relationship is laid bare in a story that I did in the last 24 hours on Justin News. Go take a look at it. These declassified text messages really show how the game was played and the symbiotic and, in some ways, corrupt relationships that FBI had with uh, reporters, there are real strong messages, particularly Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok is a complicated character, right? He's got a lot of bias in his emails. He's the guy that ultimately conveys that the seventh floor of the FBI headquarters wanted the Flynn case to stay open, even though the lead agent believed that the law, the rules, the lack of evidence required to be shut down. But there are other times where Peter Strzok really knows, his conscience is pinging him, and he knows that some of these stories in the New York Times are wrong, detrimentally wrong to the American public. The text message is very powerful. At one point, he becomes so upset about a New York Times article in February 2017. This is an article I have repeatedly called on the New York Times to retract. They have not. But in this article, uh, which claimed that the FBI had intercepted information calls showing that top levels of the Trump campaign was in touch with top levels of Russian intelligence that's by the way it didn't happen it did not happen that's a bad false story it's never been retracted Pete Strzok is so troubled by it you'll see his text messages early on saying he can't believe it that within a week or 10 days he writes a memo debunking nine factual errors the nine main points of the story all wrong, according to Peter Strzok, who, by the way, had the evidence to show it was wrong. He was in a firsthand position to know. We have to be reminded that this relationship between the FBI and the news media not only was problematic, that the news media was perhaps one of the big drivers of the great false narrative that was Russia collusion. Very important stuff. Hope you take a look at it. Hope you enjoyed Kevin Brock, too. What a great interview. I always enjoy Kevin Brock. All right, folks. We're going to go to a quick commercial break because that's what we do. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Norman Singleton. Now, before we go to break, I just want to uh, make a quick pitch. Uh, if you're someone like me who runs a small business and you're trying to do all the things that your company needs you to do, you're, you're, um, you're taking care of finances and HR and and taxes and filings and then the daily business of it, and uh, it can be very expensive, time-consuming. And if you make a mistake, even bigger mistake. Well, my friends at Bambi, let me spell that for you, B-A-M-B-E-E, Bambi, they they're, they were created to create HR solutions for small businesses like mine. Just the news, Bentley Media Group is a small business. And uh, for a really crazy reasonable fee a month, you can get a dedicated HR manager, You can craft your own HR policy and maintain your compliance. All, you ready for this? This is what the fee is. $99 a month. That's unbelievable. $99 a month. You got a turnkey HR service. If you haven't checked out Bambi and you're a small owner, small business owner, if you own a company, you got a couple employees, 20 employees, whatever it is, let Bambi help you and uh, you can start with a free HR audit. They'll come in and they'll tell you exactly what it is you need to do. To get in compliance, how to avoid liability and issues and mistakes, how to stay in, uh, in in compliance with labor regulations, this is a great deal. Anyone running a company should check out Bambi. It uh, it uh, is a turnkey solution, cost effective, and you're going to say, well, okay, John, you convinced me. What do I do? Well, here, here's what you do. You go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com/slash Just News. You go right there, right now, and you can schedule that free HR audit. They'll tell you what they can do for you, what you might be out of compliance on, how to get there and be safe and be on the good side of the law. This is very exciting. My friends at Bambi are fantastic. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Just News. You can sign up right now to get that uh, one-time HR compliance audit. It is worth your money because it is free. What a great deal. All right, we're going to go to that quick commercial break. When we come back... We're going to be here for the whole hour, our whole half hour, with Norman Singleton, the campaign for liberty, former congressional staffer to Ron Paul, a guy who's on the front lines of the Second Amendment election law, uh, COVID battles that infringe our freedom, our spending. It's going to be a really fun interview. I can't wait for you to hear from him. Norman Singleton, up right after the break. Join now at AMAC AMAC.us slash justnews. That's amac.us forward slash justnews. All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest today, Norman Singleton joins us. He worked for many years with Congressman Ron Paul, both as his legislative director, eventually his chief of staff, worked on Ron Paul's famous 2012 uh, presidential campaign. And today He is the president and runs a group called Campaign for Liberty that really focuses on uh, liberty, both uh, our personal freedoms and also the effect of spending and debt and uh, government intrusion in our lives. Norman, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Great to be on.
0: You've had a a really great career in Congress. And I know you've been a voice for uh, many, many years for fiscal sanity, for reminding people that the Constitution protected all these liberties. And we live in an era now where liberty seems to be an afterthought. Uh, Before we get started with the conversation, because I know we want to talk about gun control, we want to talk about uh, the $1.9 trillion uh, that we're about to spend in the name of COVID relief. Tell us a little bit more about what the Campaign for Liberty is doing. It has a profound effect of doing some great stuff, but I want to hear in your own words what what you're doing with it.
1: Campaign for Liberty is a grassroots education and lo- uh, lobbying organization. It was founded in 2008 after the uh, Dr. Paul's first Republican run for president. And there was all these new people coming in, and they wanted to be active, and they wanted to have an impact on public policy. And this is designed to provide them a vehicle to do that. It focuses on pressuring the legislatures, senators and congressmen at the federal level, and then state legislatures. At the look at the state level, and then city councils at the local level, uh, to vote for liberty and vote against bills that are anti-liberty. Our signature issue has been audit the Fed, which uh, sure, obviously, you know that's the issue that uh, Dr. Paul really brought back into prominence in '08 and 2012. Also, other issues are opposition to gun control, opposition to government spending. Opposition to government surveillance. We've been very involved in the fight against Obamacare, both at the federal and then stopping expansions at the state level. Our state-level groups have achieved a number of great successes against gun control. Our Delaware group actually fought uh, Bo Biden's attempt to uh, impose gun control in that in that state. Well, another signature issue of our state groups that a lot of people don't really think about it until they're victimized by it. But these red light cameras, we're uh, you're driving, or maybe you even like uh, somebody else is driving your car because you, 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 and uh, all of a sudden you get a little thing in the mail that says, um, "Here's a ticket. Pay it. No chance to challenge it. No due process. Uh, you don't actually get to talk to a policeman. Um, the camera says you says it was you, and uh, you have to pay it." And we've stopped that, in a number of campaign for liberties has stopped that in a number of states.
0: Wow, so very important work on the front lines and boy if you're opposing federal spending and you're opposing gun control and you're opposing government surveillance there's nothing going on in Washington that's in your alley right now. Right? Oh my gosh, it's uh these are the issues of the day and um And
1: last week we had a bill in the House, HR1, and I know a lot of people were focused on the so-called election quote reforms unquote which would have codified a lot of the things that people were very concerned about like mail in voting um that concerned about being used as a vehicle for fraud in the 2020 elections but it also would have silenced groups like campaign for liberty by making us comply with a lot of stupid disclosure regulations it would have subject us it would have forced us to turn over the and other groups to turn over the names of our donors um, to uh, the the election uh, bureaucracies and we know what that that's all about uh, in the age of cancel culture. Yeah, we've sure and seen it. So, um, and it, it really shows that um, the Democrats and the left are not really devoted to free speech. I mean, that's obvious from from everything. Just ask Mister Potato Head. <laughs> but uh, what it sh- but what it does show is that it's not just that they're going to use social pressure to try and silence opinions that they don't like. They actually are willing to use government power to try and squash. The uh, opposition and silence voices they don't like. Yeah, we, which we've done, Really, would be surprised when people who call themselves socialists do that because that is the socialist modus operandi since uh, at least uh, going back to probably the French Revolution, but certainly since 1917 when the Bolsheviks took power.
0: Well, the um, HR1, we've done a lot of coverage here at Just the News because there are a lot of concerns about what's tucked beneath the veneer of a voting rights effort and um and there's been a lot of discussion about silencing about uh tipping the balance and and yet when you talk to republicans in the house and the senate particularly in the senate uh there's a laissez-faire attitude oh don't worry it's not going to pass it's uh, they tried this once before uh do you feel as confident as let's say a mitch mcconnell that this is a dead-end bill in the senate or should everyone still have their vigilance up because this bill, you know, might you know, with, uh, I saw Mansion talking over the weekend about, well, maybe I'll bend on the filibuster on certain things. Do you have some fear that the Republicans maybe are too tepid in their response to the bill?
1: I I do because I think that there's always a possibility. First of all, that uh, Mansion uh, and Cinema um, on the who seem to be right the the, the two that are. Um, Standing up to a lot of the the things that the most Democrats want to do will go wobbly on any given issue. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm later on, and I'll be uh, blasting Mansion for his record on a key li- liberty issue. Uh, and uh, plus, who knows what Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, and Mitt Romney are going to do on you know what kind of deal they'll 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 cast on another issue uh, on on this issue or any other issue. The one thing we do have going for us, and I, I will say this, is this is an issue that Mitch McConnell actually feels very passionately about on an in, on a personal level. He has always been a strong opponent of campaign of restrictions on the First Amendment masquerading as campaign financial.
0: Yep, that's true.
1: And I think that that means that this is an issue where um, I, uh, I think it's very unlikely that the Collins, Romney, Murkowski and um, any other Republican is going to want to cross uh, Senator McConnell on this one, because this isn't one of those cases where he's where he's going to play politics with the issue. This is something that he in fact, um, in 19, I think it was 98. He was director of the National Sen- Republican Senator Senatorial Committee, which right. is which is the, which is the ar- arm of the party whose job it is to raise money and send money to, Senate to get Republicans elected to the Senate. And he cut off a Republican candidate. I think it was in Washington state because they came out for what at the time was the McCain-Feingold uh, campaign. That's financial right, vote. yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, 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 you won't hear somebody, you won't hear people in the liberty movement say this on a whole lot of issues, but on this one we can really count on McConnell to have our back. Fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, if you go back to the history of McCain-Feingold um mitch mcconnell was mccain's biggest nemesis on on those bills for sure for sure
1: but on but the but on the the other hand that doesn't mean that we can be uh complacent it means that we should because we need to we need to make sure that we have mcconnell's back in in for firming up the uh weak republicans and all republicans letting them know that um the grassroots of the party doesn't want this and that there will be a political there will be pain to play pain inflicted on you in terms of very angry activist if you vote for this and that pain can be bipartisan yeah no no doubt
0: and uh, the grassroots are activated there's no doubt just from the reporting i've done and Obviously, uh, at Campaign for Liberty, you're working hard. Now, one of the areas that you're really focused on is gun control. And there are two new bills that the Democrats introduced this legislation, H.R. 8, H.R. 127. And they really uh, go after some of the, the, the key, key, you know, agenda of the, uh, the gun control crowd, uh, universal background checks, um, <clears throat> other other things. How concerned are you about these bills and what are you doing at Campaign for Liberty to try to fight them?
1: We will be mobilizing our people to uh, get them to sign petitions that will be sent to their representatives this week before the vote, which is Wednesday afternoon. We'll be uh, also having them direct phone calls to the representatives, trying to you know light those phones up. I can tell you, having worked on Capitol Hill, that uh, people say, well, "What good does it do to sign a petition or make a phone call?" Um, and to be honest. Uh, Maybe one person calling might not make a difference, but 50, 100, 200 people, those make a difference. People, representatives do pay attention to their calls. And I know this because when I was still working on the Hill after Campaign for Liberty was founded, I would get complaints from other staffers saying, can you please tell your boss's people to stop calling our office?
0: (laughs) So it worked, huh?
1: Yeah, it does work. It it does work. And that's what we're, we're going to do. And we're going to keep fighting it until the Senate. Uh, these are horrible bills hr eight in particular it basically says that if I, if I want to sell you a gun um I have to go to a firearms licenser lic- firearms dealer a federally licensed firearms dealer and say I want to send s- sell John uh, this gun can you please perform an official background check and I actually have to give the dealer possession of my firearm right. until he completes back, until he or she completes the background check
0: yeah and uh, large well, numbers of guns don't, don't go through dealers, right? They're person-to-person transactions. So this is a major right. change in the system.
1: And, yeah, yeah, and the, the, the other bill is also horrible because the other bill says that if there's a delay in getting the uh, um, insta, the uh, instant check or automatic background check completed, instead of, as it is now, that uh, if it's the government's fault, then you're not at fault, you can go ahead and do your transaction. I have to send a letter to the justice department saying that i haven't gotten a response can you please do it manually so I'm, I'm doing it online so can you please accept this manual request written request and you have to wait until the justice department does it does does it or until the computer system g- gives it back to you so this is a way that basically you could be indefinitely delayed
0: wow yeah that's that's the big fear and I think the other part of this debate, and I think we'll hear this over the next couple of days more and more, which is the, the gun control argument that what we're really trying to do is stop guns from being used in violent offenses. Most guns, or many guns, day in and day out that are used in violent uh, offenses are already illegal guns, right? So it isn't like the bad guys suddenly are going to comply because you just did a, <laughs> a Brady background check. Uh, the the bigger issue is, is, is stemming the flow of guns uh, to people who already shouldn't have them because they're felons or they've committed crimes or they're engaged in, in wrongdoing. Um, do you think that argument resonates with everyday people or do you think all the mass shootings and things that have occurred have numbed people and they just want to get this issue behind them? Do what you got to do to get it behind us.
1: I don't think it's, I, I think that there still is a very large and active constituency for a second, protecting second amendment rights in this country. And I think that, uh, The more people learn about this and think about this, the more they realize that uh, the answer to a bad guy with a gun is not laws that disarm the good guys. The answer to a bad guy with a gun is more good guys with guns. And by more good guys with guns, I don't mean more uh, law enforcement, I mean more private citizens as the founders intended. And as John Lott has shown, in states that have concealed carry, constitutional carry, there is less crime. And that makes sense. You're much likely to pull a gun on somebody if there's a good chance that somebody, that that the person you're pulling the gun on or other people around that person are armed themselves. And, um, And I think that also the fact that there is an active constituency is shown by the fact that the movement for at the state level was for concealed carry and constitutional carry that continues to grow.
0: Yeah, that's, it really is really seeing that in several States, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Yes. Now we, we face a danger particularly with HR eight when we get to the Senate in that the idea that, um, of, of closing these so-called gun show and, uh, other loopholes by expanding the background check system, because that, that, by the way, is something that this is also you'll, you'll hear a lot from the Democrats about the gun show loophole. And one of the reasons that um, they're concerned about gun shows isn't that uh, there's a bunch of cases of mass shootings or even just shootings by, um, where the gun was found to be bought at a gun show and so it didn't go through the background check. It's because if you've ever been to a gun show, you'll notice that there's a lot of um, libertarian and conservative organizing information, literature being sold and, and distributed. There's also uh, alternative health products being sold. Um, it really is, your typical gun show is not just guns anymore. It really is almost like a, a mini libertarian convention right. or liberty convention. Yeah,
0: no no doubt. And-
1: and I think that they're 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 aiming at a backdoor way of kind of trying to minimize minimize this as a forum where people of like minded get together, uh, because they might get together and start organizing with groups like Campaign for Liberty, to try and stop the uh, status and in, in infringements. But um, the reason this is that this this a uh, similar bill of this almost became law in 2013 after the Sandy Hook shooting. Right also floated in 2019 and there was a compromise version of it in the Senate and the two senators who floated the compromise version were Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and none other than Joe Manchin of West Virginia. So this is an issue where Manchin is very unreliable on. He has a history of compromise and selling out, uh, the gun people on this issue, which, uh, doesn't make sense to me for either of them, because if you're from Pennsylvania or West Virginia and you're looking for an issue to give to the left, I wouldn't think that neither of those states' guns is the one that you really want to go with.
0: Yeah, that, those are those are big big hunting states, big uh, Second Amendment states. Are you worried that the NRA, with all of its distractions, its legal problems, its bankruptcy and other things, that it, isn't, um, it doesn't have the muscle that it normally would to put into a fight like this?
1: I am, and that's why it's important that um, Campaign for Liberty, uh, people go to campaignforliberty.com and uh, see what they can do to to, uh, try and support the uh, effort to stop these bills Um, and um, look for other uh, organizations that are uh, trying to to fight it um, because I do think that uh, the NRA's problems are going to um, be used against it. Uh, when they try to engage in these legislative fights,
0: yeah, that's a big. I know, and, and talking to folks on the Second Amendment uh, side, that's a big concern that they have right now. That the, the NRA, which has you know been reliable as heck uh, for for gun right owners, gun right and gun owners, um, they're they're distracted a little bit, and uh, that could be a that could be an issue. I want to pivot to the other big issue because we're at the one yard line now, and the COVID nineteen bill, the uh, so-called relief bill, $1.9 trillion, which, by the way, has not a lot to do with COVID. There's a lot of other things in there, particularly expansion of the welfare state. How concerned are you about this bill, and why do you think there is not more outrage, more opposition in America to what's going on inside the bill? I mean, it's one thing that try to help people get back on their feet with COVID. It's another thing to use a COVID bill to stack a lot of other things in it. We've been writing about all the things that are non-COVID-related, in the bill. Why, why do you think there's such apathy?
1: Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Spending is not an issue that uh, motivates, for some reason, a lot of uh, passion among, even among grassroots activists. And I think it might be because there's sort of a, you know, it's going to rain, what can I do about right. it? And I think there's sort of a, that attitude too. Uh, part of it is, that and I've seen the the Democrats and the left pick up on this too is this this uh, unfortunate pattern where Republicans are strongly against debt and deficits <laughs> when there's a Democratic president yes. in the office. It happened under Clinton, under Bush the first, he ex- drastically expanded government. There was some pushback. I mean, you remember Pat Buchanan launched his his primary challenge in '92, based on, on and spending was one of Pat's big issues back then. Um, Then Clinton comes in and Republicans line up against spending. Then the second Bush comes in and he's horrible on spending. And once again, we see Republicans lining up behind him. And then Obama comes in and again, Republicans line up against his spending. Then Trump, um, whatever, whatever else he was he was. Uh, sound on from a liberty point of view. The fact was he was horrible when it came to spending and part of that might have been that he went along with the big spenders in the Republican Party in Congress Um, but he was uh, but most Republicans went along with that. There there are a few consistent and I think that that kind of um, makes it difficult to mobilize because you have people saying that well um, you guys say that now but two years ago or last year you were you were you were sponsoring big spending COVID bills that so what's the difference i mean i think that one thing though you can say is that this bill is does have a lot of just left-wing wish list items in it that uh don't have anything to do with with covet and secondly there's kind of a a Mixed message we're getting from from D.C. I think at one point they're saying that well we have vaccines and it's it's, it's it the, the crisis is coming to an end. On the other hand, they're saying we still need all this this relief and we have these new viruses coming out. Um, my belief is that while well, they have kind of conflicting interest in the political class, one is they they do want to make it look like when we got Biden in that's when things started to get better. There was improvements under Biden. But secondly, they have an interest in continuing the crisis because government grows by fear. Fear of viruses, fear of terrorism, fear of economic uncertainty. Um, And they wanna keep us afraid. They wanna keep us afraid of the virus. They wanna keep us wearing our masks and getting our vaccines and staying six feet apart from each other and not living our normal lives because a fearful people Tend to be more subservient people to government officials who say that. Don't worry, I will protect you. The man on the white horse comes in when he when um, not when people are feeling happy and there's peace and prosperity, but they come. But comes in during times of uncertainty because people are scared.
0: When you look at um, you so Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: We, and th- this is an example of not letting a crisis go to waste. This god awful one trillion dollars, one point nine trillion dollar spending bill, which I heard this morning. If you look at it, how it extends over ten years, it's actually going to cost, end up costing more, closer to four trillion.
0: It's it's remarkable the amount of money. I mean, we put you know this year alone six six trillion additional into the economy uh, in one year. Uh, and um, how concerned are you as? The debt mounts. I mean, it used to be that people were, you know, back in the 90s, we actually had a balanced budget for a while. There was voices of fiscal sanity and f- f- fiscal reason. It doesn't seem like the debt, the deficit, uh, the drunken spending of the political elite in Washington has any resonance among the everyday people. Certainly doesn't have any resonance among members of Congress. I mean, it, Tom Massey is a like a, a, a super minority in Congress now. He's one of the few voices left. Why? How did yeah. we get to the point where debt and deficit and uh, our children's 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 grandchildren burden not become something that was in the, in the consciousness of America?
1: I think part of it is that there's this new, or maybe it's not new, it's it's come back to the forefront, though, this idea that, well, the Fed can, can print the money. And as long as the Fed prints money and keeps interest rates low, we're fine, as long as what's And keep in mind, most politicians are short-term thinkers. So as long as it looks good today, it's okay. And also, there's still this cult of the Fed chairman. And when Jerome Powell gets up, and now he's got his um, friend and predecessor in that role, Janet Yellen at Treasury, backing him up on this, gets up, I, I guess Mnuchin did too, gets up and says, as long as this crisis goes on, this pandemic goes on, Congress needs to spend, and don't worry, the Fed will take care of of monetizing that debt so that the uh, so that the economy doesn't take a hit and we don't get hyperinflation or collapse in the dollar's value, people tend to believe that. The problem is, you know, Mar- Margaret Thatcher famously said the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. I think <laughs> a correlated to is the problem with Keynesianism is, and that's still the reigning economic philosophy sure. of both presidential of both major parties. The problem with Keynesianism is sooner or later, the Fed just can't print any more money to control the interest rates and control the the economy. And when that that happens, as um, Dr. Ron Paul has pointed out numerous times, actually spent his entire career warning about this, at some point, the dollar value is going to collapse. We are going to face a serious dollar crisis. The dollar's reserve world currency is going to be status is going to be challenged. At that point, we're going to face a serious economic problem, and the only way to avoid that is to start right now and start cutting spending. Stop, um, and just just stop um, expanding spending. I if if they need to spend, send out four thousand dollar checks to people or two thousand or however much it, it is. I guess it totals two thousand. Right between the two bills. Yep. That came out in December and then the the thousand four hundred and this That's right. Okay, you I'm gonna say that um, all right you you've shut down the economy, you've thrown people out of work, you've closed their businesses, you've closed their small businesses. Um, you're gonna do something to compensate them. Okay. What are you gonna do to pay for it? What cuts are you going to make to pay for it? And the only guys who really are talking about that are Thomas Massey and Rand Paul. Yep. I mean, Rand has his 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 bill. It was the penny plan at one point. Now it's the five cent plan because um, spending has increased so much since he started introducing it that uh, that that it now takes a five cent cut to balance in five years. But his plan would just say to every for every dollar spent in the current budget, just cut five cents out of it. Right. That. And you can, you still have a government that's too big that neither you and I will be happy with and Rand won't be happy with either, but at least, but at least it'll put you on a path back to balance. That's really, we're not, we're not talking about a a complete, you know, dream world of, uh, libertarian where we cut back to the constitution and then say, um, okay, do we really need to have the, I know it's in the constitution, but does the federal government really need to be running the post office. Um, no, we're just talking about minor, about minor cuts that will help help balance this budget, and so that maybe we won't be in this drastic situation in ten years, where we're going to have to to um, make drastic panic cuts, as opposed to rationally trying to figure out how do we dig ourselves out of this hole that we're in.
0: And that's really, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you're really asking for: people to step back. Just use some common sense, some rationality, to realize that what we're doing right now isn't sustainable. A long time ago, I interviewed Ron Paul. And one of the things he said is that um, I sit, I sat in this town for a long time, and I could see every time Republicans say, "You know, we should just compromise and um, and get this done and go home for the break or whatever it is." And he said, "Every compromise always came at the expense of one of three things: our fiscal solvency, our freedoms." Or our common sense. I remember that interview really well, and many years ago. But it applies today even more. um, We have kind of compromised ourselves into an almost an intractable problem, right? Uh, We, uh, particularly on the debt, but also uh, we are not as free as we were twenty years ago. We're not as free as we were ten years ago. Quite frankly, we're not as free as we were eighteen months ago. Do you agree with that? That we've shed a lot of freedom as well as our fiscal sanity over the last 20 30 years
1: i agree and the fact that i can't um go to a restaurant and without wearing a mask and i can't uh and and i and i can't stay out at a bar past 10 o'clock which makes no sense to me um if i drink a if i do drink a beer at nine i'm okay but if i drink a beer at 1002 in a bar i'm risking COVID. uh no we're 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 not as free as we were a year ago this week in fact yeah. um and these shutdowns what nobody really has been talking about is there was a a, a study by the who the the world health organization not the uh, awesome rock group that said <laughs> that lockdowns don't work yeah and very few people are talking about this and I mean, we've this, written this about it stuff. you're right though yeah, th- this this isn't the alternative media <laughs> saying this this yeah. is the group that everyone was mad at Trump for withdrawing us from because they're supposed to be the 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 greatest expert on all things health related yeah but we're still doing lockdowns in most of the country we
0: are yep and uh, even today the CDC came out and said even if you're inoculated you get your double vaccine uh, you still have to wear a mask outside but you can maybe hang out inside your home with a few people without a mask for the first time that's that's uh, that that's the latest easing of the restrictions, if you could put easing in the words. Norman, I'm really fascinated. For people who want to get involved with the Campaign for Liberty, who want to fight on these issues, how do they get in touch with you? How do they follow you? How do they work with you on a daily basis?
1: Uh, Campaignforliberty.com is our website. You can find the information to sign up and get on our our mailing list. You can also find information on um, how to get involved in your state and local level which I highly recommend because uh, people focus on D.C. a lot, but there's, uh, as people in New York and California will tell, and other states will tell you, um, and then on the good side, people in Florida and South Dakota will tell you too, your governor and your state legislatures can have a tremendous, in, in many cases, more effect on your day-to-day lives and the amount of liberty in your lives and your ability to uh, live your life as you choose and educate your children as you want um, to uh, as uh, the President and Congress can
0: well we we have a, a tumultuous and historic year ahead of us. there's going to be battles over freedoms and fiscal uh, sanity, um, uh, like we've not seen in a very long time. This is a very consequential year. So Norman, as we, as we go through the year, I'd like to get you back on the show because I think, um, we need to keep, you know, as a journalist, it's important for me to remind people that these are not fringe issues. These are not some interesting political issue that most Americans, these affect everyone's pocketbook. They affect everyone's right to safety. They affect everyone's, uh, right to freedom. And, um, and yet they don't get talked about enough. So I'd like to get you back on the show as as this year on ones.
1: Anytime.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for what the Campaign for Liberty does. We'll be back uh, after a quick short break, folks, to wrap things up for the day. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet All right, folks, that wraps things up for the day. Hope you enjoyed, Norman. I feel like I learned a lot. There are some really big 30,000-foot issues behind a lot of these laws that are whipping their way through Congress. I think Norman broke them down, the cost, the impact to your liberty, to your wallet, to your government solvency. Um, Really valuable stuff to keep in the back of your head as you read the news. And of course, we hope you're reading the news at justthenews.com. We're always grateful for you checking us out with our good investigative reporting, our spot news, our breaking news. We're trying to serve your interests and we appreciate all you do to support us. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with another great interview. Thanks. Have a great night. May God bless you. May God bless this great country of America as he always has. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News.